I graduated in speech and drama from the University of Wisconsin. And you had a famous classmate, right? Uh, well, there were there were several. Yeah, yeah, Mason Adams. Who's been on this show before. Yeah, uh-huh. Only Mace wasn't interested in uh, drama at the time. He was one of Wisconsin's big debaters. I have somewhere at home an old record. I used to do a variety show at school. But Mace did a comic debate, a rebuttal on the question whether it is better to have loved and lost than never to have loved at all. And it's the same Mace Adams that you hear now. Yeah, I'd love to hear that. He has an interesting voice. It, it oh, yeah. It didn't hit me until he, I was sitting across from him, and I realized he has a combination high and low voice all at the same yeah, time. Yeah, that's true. Which is very unusual. <laughs> well, and you know, uh, whether, whether you consider it a beautiful voice or not, the sponsors love it, and nobody works more than he does. I well, I said it connoted middle America. I said, yes, when he speaks, does. I yes, see waving does. fields of grain, yeah. and at that point he said, yeah, but I'm from New York. I know. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you worked uh, as an actor before coming to Hollywood? Oh, yeah, well, that? Uh, and I worked at the uh, university radio station for five years before I came out here, and I came out here well prepared, and I had two letters, both of them addressed to whom it may concern. <laughs> one I presented to CBS and one I presented to NBC and then proceeded to starve. And not wanting to hound them too much, I would see them only once a week or so, and there was nothing open. And finally, Walter Bunker, who later was with uh, Young and Rubicam, he was the production manager at NBC. He said, get a job on the parking lot, and you will be close to the business and when an audition comes along, I'll see that you get in on it. Okay, so I did. I quit a $15 a week job as a, as a floral delivery boy and took mm -hmm. a $12 a week job as a parking lot mm. attendant. And the day I was fitted for my pages uniform, <laughs> which would have paid me $65 a month, uh, there was an audition and I took it and I won it and I became a junior announcer at NBC. And what did you get paid for that? Oh, uh, that was really a step up. You see, after <laughs> after was fighting to get a toehold to get uh, real money for yeah. for their people. So, uh, junior announcer got twenty five dollars a week. The February 9th, nineteen fifty nine episode of Have Gun Will Travel was called Killer's Widow. Among those featured was the just heard Vic Perrin. Perrin worked closely with Norman McDonald on Gunsmoke in Fort Laramie. Conrad brings to that role a kind of hard-edged oh, yeah. cynicism. Oh, yeah. He really sounds like a guy who's been breathing yeah. Kansas dust for 20 years and shooting, yeah. you know, and being shot at by vicious people, and he is cynical, and yet he's still trying to do right against right. all odds. Yeah. It's an amazing portrayal. Having set all that up, I got to play these outtakes, which destroy <laughs> well, everything. You know, but it's, it's he's a, obviously a guy with a hell of a sense of humor. Oh, uh, yes, of course. Let's, this is this is kind of a long. You had to clean them up a little bit, didn't little you? A little bit, yeah. <laughs> I, I wish I wish I could play the whole tape. I know. You I gave me. Uh, uh, these are the milder of the. Yeah. Oh, I don't know whether I need to explain what's going on here or not. It's just actors fluff lines and it and it breaks people up. So here we go. The law doesn't look at it that way, Jeb. Orange, one of my frock, Marshal. One of your frock. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, I'm sorry. Why don't we all go back to the house and start over again? <laughs> oh, brother. It was in town last night, Jeb. Till near morning, there was an argument over a poker game, and he shot Will Peterson. No. Did he kill him, Marshal? 
Will was still alive when we left to ride out here. Well, I don't hold none with gunfighting, but if Will Peterson rode on my boy, he had to defend himself. Will wasn't worrying the gun. I don't believe it. Somebody's lying. Just a minute there. I gotta say something over again. Will wasn't wearing a gun. I don't believe it. Somebody's lying. Maybe, but that's something the jury's gonna have to decide, Jeb. If thine own offend, deliver them not unto Canaan, but judge ye the false thereof in thine own tents. Law. <laughs> Will you stop laughing, damn it? <laughs> now, come on, this is serious. Well, you ought to be home any time now. Ordinarily, he ain't going to, well, you know, stay out all night. Tell me, Marshal, is this something official? Yeah, I'm sorry, Jeb, it's trouble with the law. Well, Arlen ain't never been in no trouble. Not real trouble. He is now. <laughs> it's amazing to me the way that other actor... It's just stayed in character and went along oh, with yeah. it. And I don't know who that man he was. He was marvelous. That was Ralph Moody, who was well into his 70s. And uh, he did a lot of dragnets, too. Mm -hmm. And just a marvelous actor who'd done all the circuits. He'd done vaudeville. He'd done tent shows and everything. And he had a very classic profile. <laughs> and in pictures, he played nothing but Indian chiefs. Huh. Because he had that swarthy look and a beautiful nose and... Mm -hmm. But uh, he was wonderful. The other thing is the way Conrad just is in and out. He has his joke, and then he's right back. Yeah. Well, it's yeah. serious <laughs> business. He really had that part down. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I came here to tell you I'm not an executioner. It doesn't feel good to kill a man. Not a bit good. But your husband didn't leave me any choice. Have Gun. Will Travel. Starring Mr. John Daner as Paladin. San Francisco, 1875, the Carlton Hotel, headquarters of a man called Paladin. <laughs> Sounds wonderful. And then, Mr. Paladin? And then, perhaps a cordial for a nightcap. I do believe I'll be looking forward to this evening a great deal, Mr. Paladin. And I, too. Mr. Paladin. Oh, what? I've been looking for you. Uh, I'll find you. Hey, boy, your timing is abysmal. Oh, thank you, Mr. Paladin, but uh, credit must go to mailman. He just brings special delivery letter for you. <sighs> Excuse me, my dear. What? Oh, say, I'll meet you in the lounge later. Well... Oh, she is very high dungeon. Dungeon? saw that's what I say, very high dungeon. Ah, dear Mr. Paladin, I need you for an important assignment immediately, and so forth. 
There's a $3,000 bonus for you upon completion. Something, something. I appreciate you seeing you at your earliest convenience. So, very truly yours, E.J. Randolph, Coloma Bank. Coloma. Oh, you there not long ago, yes? Well, yes, about two months ago. Oh, yes. Oh, here are your two tickets for opera tonight. Now take them back, hey, boy. Yes, uh, what? I'm leaving for Coloma tonight. Oh, must be real big trouble to interfere with lady who was almost kissed. And wire Mr. Randolph. Tell him I'm on my way. Dandruff bothers most men, most women, too, so listen. Today, you can get rid of embarrassing dandruff in just three minutes. Yes, with Fitch Dandruff Remover Shampoo, unsightly dandruff's gone in three minutes. It's the quickest, easiest of all leading shampoos. That's not all. Using Fitch regularly is guaranteed to keep embarrassing dandruff away. Simply apply in the unique Fitch manner. Before you wet hair, rub in one minute. This way, Fitch Shampoo penetrates right down to the scalp. Next, add water. Lather one minute to wash every trace of dandruff out of your hair. Then rinse one minute. All that loosened dandruff goes down the drain. In three minutes with Fitch, one rubbing, one lathering, one rinsing, dandruff's gone. And never forget, gentle Fitch can also leave your hair up to 35% brighter. To get rid of dandruff problems forever, brighten hair too. Use Fitch regularly. Get Fitch Dandruff Remover Shampoo today, only 59 cents. Coloma was a poor excuse for a town. It's sat alone and awkward in the center of a dry, scorched plain with a few ranches stretching back towards the low mesas behind it. I'd been there before, and I killed a man there. I didn't like the town. I didn't like the people. But Randolph had offered me a lot of money. I found him sitting behind his desk at the bank. Well, Paladin, sure good to see you. Hello, Mr. Randolph. Hey, sit down, sit down. Thank you. Uh... How about a little rye to cut the dust, huh? Yeah, I don't mind. Hey, didn't waste any time getting here. And the distance between San Francisco and Coloma is shorter when there's a $3,000 fee involved. <laughs> right to the point. That's what I like about you, Paladin. That's why I sent for you. Well, here's luck. Thank you. <laughs> So, what can I do for you, Mr. Randolph? Uh, you did a job for John Griffin about two months ago. He hired you to bring back Steve Morrow. Remember him? You don't forget someone you've killed. Didn't mean any offense. No, no, I'm not offended. Morrow tried to kill me. I had to kill him. Griffin wanted Morrow because Morrow had killed his son. What's that got to do with you? Morrow robbed this bank. Before he killed that Griffin boy. He took $30,000. I still don't see the connection. Paladin, I've got to have that $30,000 back by the first of the month or I'll lose everything I own. And you need help? Yes. Yes, I need help. Badly. Fifteen years of hard work, building a business and a name for myself. Gone, just like that. Gone and signed over to John Griffin. John Griffin? How does he figure in this? Hmm. He's the biggest depositor the bank has. He knows about the stolen money, and he's using that knowledge. He's given me notice that he wants to withdraw $30,000 on the first. If I don't have it, the deed to this building and most of the other property the bank owns will be signed over to him. 
And I don't have it, Mr. Paladin. Well, then, that makes my job fairly easy. Well, how's that? Find Morrow's widow. She must have the money, or at least know where it is. I don't think so. She's still living in that cabin up there on the mesa. Well, the sheriff and I have been up a dozen times searching the place, trying to talk her into telling us where it is. She hasn't got the money. If she had it, she'd have left Coloma and gone someplace else to spend it. Either that or at least paid up the back taxes on the farm. Huh. I thought for sure Rose had that money. Rose? Steve Morrow's widow. You mean Lucy Morrow. Her name's Lucy. Oh. Uh, I'm going to check into the hotel and freshen up a bit. And then what? Ride out and talk to Lucy Morrow. Morning, Mr. Randolph. Yes? Good afternoon, Miss Morrow. I'm Paladin. Did you think I could forget you, Mr. Paladin? No, I suppose not. I'd like to talk to you, if I may. I'm going to work on the rose garden. You can talk there if you wish. Yes, I noticed them as I rode up. They're beautiful. They are. It's an eastern variety, Kellinaris. Oh. Must be rather difficult to grow them out here. Oh, it's worth the trouble to have one lovely thing here. They were a present from Steve. He brought me some cuttings after one of his trips back east. Why have you stayed on here? Simple. There's nowhere else to go and no money to go with. Your husband took $30,000 from the Coloma Bank. It's never been found. This house was turned inside out. Do you think I'd be living here like this if I had $30,000? Perhaps not. I don't know anything about that money, Mr. Paladin. I don't mean to bother you, Mrs. Morrow. Why do you bother me, then? You knew this before you came out here. I killed Steve. If it hadn't been me, it would have been somebody else, somewhere else. He was an outlaw, a killer. I... Suppose I wanted to come here and tell you that I'm not an executioner. I was bringing him in, and he went for his gun. Doesn't feel good to kill a man. Not a bit good. I know you're not the kind to kill for the sake of another notch on your gun, but... Steve was my husband. Please don't come back here again. Or if you have to, wait until I'm gone. You're leaving? Yes. They're auctioning the place for $276 back taxes. Oh, don't look so pained. I'll get along. Maybe it'll be best. Get out of here, Paladin. Leave me alone, please. Good afternoon, Mrs. Morrow. I didn't tell you this story about my first car. I didn't have a car. I had to yeah. take the five-cent bus to get to work and, and back again. And Buddy Twist was chief announcer, and he said, Well, I'll tell you, kid. We'll, we'll see that you get a car. I want you to do all the dance remotes, and you'll get seven cents a mile. Now, I have a fellow who has a used car lot. <laughs> And that was 19... 19- I sense a sandbagging coming up. Yeah. That was 1941. Yeah. And I got a 1928 Chevrolet Coupe. Yeah. For a hundred bucks, no down payment, ten dollars a month. 
And Buddy Twist said, I'll see that you make the ten bucks a month to make the payments. And that's how I got my first car. So I'll be darned. But here was this $25 a weeker uh, announcing from the, the Coconut Grove of the Ambassador Hotel <laughs> and the Biltmore Bowl of the Biltmore Hotel and the Florentine Gardens on Hollywood Boulevard and the Wiltshire Bowl with... And the guys parking the cars were probably making more than that's you, right. right? They were. Well, that's show business. Oh, but of course, it was very glamorous. As you pointed out, we, we were talking earlier about, about this. Uh, in, in those days, you could buy a house in Laurel Canyon for under five grand. Oh, yeah. So. Well, there was a very fine announcer at NBC, Frank Mingman. And uh, he had decided to build a house up on Mulholland Drive. And he had a house that he had just bought, was buying on contract uh, for $40 a month. And uh, it was a two-bedroom house. And this is in Laurel Canyon. In Laurel Canyon, up up near the crest. Uh huh. Laurel Canyon. Forty dollars a month. Mm-hmm. And uh, <laughs> but he wanted five hundred dollars down. Oh now, dear. So I managed to scrape together three hundred bucks, and uh, he took a note for the other two hundred. I would pay him when. Mm-hmm. And I took over his contract, and uh, my wife and I and our our child, who came along later, uh, lived there for ten years, and we sold it for thirteen five, and then moved up to Woodrow Wilson Drive. But you had originally paid less than five for this. Yeah, forty eight hundred in Laurel Canyon, yeah. folks. If we had only known then, yeah. what we know now. If, if you had only been alive then. On TV, Dick Boone's Paladin was a smash hit. That year's program rating was thirty four point three third overall. Both the show and Boone were nominated for Emmys. Its success helped the radio version find sponsorship from multiple advertisers, like this commercial from Lysol. Yeah, I'm a mean widow, kid. And are you pleased with yourself? Sure, because I'm a germ, a bathroom germ. Bathrooms is where the meanest germs get to live. <laughs> Do I have fun causing odor and spreading disease? Well, you better watch out, son, or your landlady may find out about Lysol brand disinfectant. Lysol? Oh, no, Lysol. That's what I said, Lysol. Well, anyway, a lot of women are finding that a dash of Lysol in their cleaning suds every week wipes out nasty bathroom disease germs like you, disinfects from one cleaning to the next as no other product can, wipes out many deadly viruses, too. Lysol makes every cleaner work work better. It's the easy, modern way to get bathrooms really clean and free of odors. Lysol can do that? Mm, And what's more, now besides regular Lysol, there's a new, sweet-smelling, pine-scented Lysol. And they're both out to get you. Hey, was you ever a mean little kid? One more remark like that, and I'll open this bottle of Lysol. Help! The Griffin Ranch was the same as it had been, old, solid, and well-kept, run by a man who was old and solid and tough, a man who had lost one son by Steve Morrow's gun and had one son left, a man who could not forget or forgive. Well, you look about the same, Paladin. Come on in, set a spell. I'd just soon sit out here in the fresh air, Mr. Griffin. Fine, fine. What brings you back to these parts? $30,000. Stolen money, eh? A lot of people like to get their hands on that. You ought to have a pretty good idea where it might be. Why do you say that? Well, you were the last person to be with that murdering fool. The way I had it figured, Morrow had the money with him when you killed him. I uh, hear you've been living pretty high on the hog up in San Francisco. Those are harsh words, Griffin. Oh, no, no. Don't get itchy. I was just only joshing. 
You wouldn't be back here if you had it. Steve Morrow didn't have that money when I found him. And according to his wife, he didn't even have it when he left the farm. Oh, you talked to her? I just came from there. Well, it takes a lot of nerve for a man to go up and talk to the wife of somebody he killed. Hey, you suppose Steve Morrow hid it on that farm of his? Mr. Randolph and the sheriff searched it. I know. Old Randolph's getting fidgety. A while back, he got the idea that Morrow buried the money up on the mesa. <laughs> you never saw such digging and poking around. I swear the mesa's ten feet shorter on account of it. That farm adjoins your property, doesn't it? Yeah. On the south. Why? I hear it's up for auction. Should be worth at least a couple of thousand dollars to him. I'll get it for 276 the taxes. <laughs> Someone will outbid you at that price. I don't reckon so, Paladin. Nobody else is going to bid on it. Those who can afford to bid on it don't have any use for that farm. Randolph might have use for it. Ah, that old pussyfoot. <laughs> he wouldn't know how to plant potatoes. He might know how to dig for stolen money. Hey, tell me something, Paladin. You working for Randolph? Maybe. Maybe not. Uh, you are working for him. I might have known. You know, I'd just assume the money doesn't get back to the bank. Oh? I'd lose about $60,000 in holdings that belong to it. Those holdings will be mine come the first of the month. Well, that's not a pretty way to talk, but at least it's the truth. I see. What happens to Randolph, then? Out. Out in the cold where he deserves to be. If I ran my ranch like he runs that bank, I'd have been out of business a long time ago. Well, getting close to sundown, I think I'll be heading back to town. No, Paladin, I hate to see a man like you working on the dark side of the fence. I thought you always roamed the green fields. Uh, which are the green fields, Griffin? Mine are. By the way, you buy that farm just for the taxes, Steve Morrow's widow won't get a cent. Well, now, ain't that a downright shame? She didn't kill your son, Griffin. No, but her husband did. All I hope is that his kin are going to suffer on account of it. That's how I feel about Morrow and her. Come in. Paladin? Well, Mr. Randolph. You uh, make it a habit, staying up this late? <laughs> I do my best thinking when the town's settled for the night. You've covered a lot of ground today. You're getting discouraged. Did you come here to discourage me? Yeah, a lot of territory between Coloma and the Mesa. Morrow could have hidden that money anywhere. Not without telling his wife. Now, since when does a killer stop to worry about his wife? Randolph, whatever you want to say about Morrow, he loved his wife. He'd have wanted to make sure she was provided for him. I even spoke about her when he was dying. His last words were, Rose, tell her that... Wait a minute. Tell her... What are you talking about? Randolph, that money's up there on the farm. You mean she does have it? She doesn't know it, but it's there. Where is it, then? Why, we've torn that place apart. You just didn't dig in the right spot. I'm going up there now and get your money. You wait here. It's one o'clock in the morning. And I'll be digging by two. Now, there's a luxury car that fits regular parking spaces and ordinary garages that's easy to handle in traffic. It's America's compact luxury car, the Ambassador by Rambler. 
Now, medium-priced car buyers can have the room, comfort, luxury, and performance they expect in a fine car, but without excessive length, width, and bulk. If other medium-priced cars have sized and priced you out of the market, then you owe it to yourself to test our best. American Motors' finest, the luxuriously compact ambassador. Note the quality construction and careful attention to detail. Thrill to the superbly responsive 270-horsepower V8 engine. Enjoy luxury features like individually adjustable front seats that glide back and forth separately. Five minutes at the wheel of an ambassador will change your ideas about luxury cars. Test our best. The Ambassador V8 by Rambler. Finest car ever priced so close to the lowest. See, drive the luxurious Ambassador now at Rambler Dealers. When I dismounted at Lucy Morrow's, I thought I heard a horse nicker in a nearby clump of cottonwoods. I waited, but all was quiet except for the wind through the trees. Lucy Morrow was a light sleeper. She answered my second knock. What do you want? Uh, put the shotgun down, Miss Morrow. What are you doing here this time of night? The money. It's here on the farm. We've been through that before, Paladin. They ripped my place apart. Every floorboard, every inch of this cabin, the yard's full of holes. You saw it this afternoon. I know, Mrs. Morrow, but... The this... money isn't here. Look, this is my last night in the only home I ever had, and I don't mean to be bothered. Mrs. Morrow... Now get we... away from here before I blast that shirt right off your back. You wouldn't have to leave tomorrow if I find the money. I'm not wasting any more words with you. Miss Morrow, in your rose garden, is there a bush not doing well? Paladin, it's late and it's cold. Answer me, is there? Well, yes, there is one, but what's that got to do with the money? Flowers need soil at their roots, Miss Morrow, not gold. What? You get me a shovel, I'll show you what I mean. You know, it took me a while to figure out that a dying man wouldn't call his wife Rose. Her name was Lucy. Hold the lamp a little closer. I think we've got it. Now. Yeah, this is it. The leather bag from the Coloma Bank. We'll open it. Yeah. Gold coins. $30,000 worth. Here in the Rose Garden all the time. Drop that. Huh? Raise your hand. What? Come on. Do what I say. Good. Now just stand steady. All right, Cleet. Let's move in. Keep that light high, woman, so as we can see you both. Lucy. Yes? When I say the word, throw that lamp at them high, eye level, then hit the ground fast. I'll say when. All right. Now. No more. Don't shoot again. Just stand easy, mister. You shot him. You shot my boy. I didn't have much choice. Cleet. Cleet, boy. You hurt bad. Uh, I'll, I'll be all right, Paul. I'll get you for this, Paladin. Don't try anything foolish, Mr. Griffin. You're already in enough trouble. I'm in trouble. Trying to hijack stolen money. Trespassing, attempted murder. Paladin. Paladin, there's someone coming. Yeah, I heard him. I think it's Randolph. Randolph? He knew I was coming out here. He probably couldn't stand waiting in town. After all, the money belongs to his bank. Paladin! Paladin, you all right? Yes, we're all right. We're over here, Mr. Randolph. Well, what happened? What was all the shooting? Well, there was a little discussion as to who was going to get that bank's money. 
I won. You, you mean you have the money? You, you found it, all of it? I think so, here. Oh. oh, good. Good, that's it right enough. Now, in regards to my fee, Mr. Randolph. Yes? I want you to give it to Lucy. What? Lucy? I think a woman ought to be able to keep her home if she wants to. At the auction tomorrow, you can decide whether you want to stay or leave this charming town. Thank you, Paladin. As for you, Griffin, get your boy back to your own ranch and bandage that leg of his. I don't think Lucy Morrow cares one way or the other what happens to you. Mr. Randolph wants to bring charges later. That's up to him. As for myself, I'm saying goodbye to Coloma for the last time. You have backed me, Sir Paladin. And ready to see the city bright and shining? Oh, best you go away two, three more days, maybe. Why should I? Her. Who? Her. Her lady over there. He very unhappy when you will not take her to the opera. Well, didn't you explain it was business? Oh, yes, sir. Important business? Yes, sir, but uh, her business more important to her, I think, Mr. Paladin. Uh, he, he maybe kill you, huh? I hope not. Well, the best way is the direct way. Excuse me. Hmm? Oh. I hope you missed me. You did miss me. I have no other cheek to turn. Then kindly turn yourself around and leave me alone. I can hardly do that. You see, I've thought of nothing and no one but you all this time. Really? Really. <laughs> Am I to believe? You are to believe only that which will make you feel better and me feel better. And both of us enjoy a lovely evening together. That, to me, would be a simple solution. So? Dinner? Well... Please. You are a very convincing man. The current issue of TV Radio Mirror has a feature story on the man who portrays Paladin every Sunday night on CBS Radio, Mr. John Daner. Have Gun, Will Travel. Created by Herb Meadow and Sam Rolfe, is produced and directed by Norman MacDonald and stars John Daner as Paladin with Ben Wright as Hayboy. Tonight's story was written by Albert Alley and adapted for radio by John Dawson. Featured in the cast were Vic Perrin, Eleanor Tannen, and Joseph Kearns. Hugh Douglas speaking. Join us again next week for Have Gun, Will Travel. On NBC, there was a show called Homicide O'Kane, and it was written by a guy who used a pen in one hand and a bottle in the other. <laughs> and, and it was due on the air at 3.15 in the afternoon. By 3.10, 
he had maybe six of the eight pages written. Mm. And while the show was on the air, he'd be typing away. They'd be rushing the carbons and the originals into the studio. And he never missed closing a show. He always managed to get the last page in in time. What uh, do you do with the bottle? Well, I, I think... Maybe uh, the show and the bottle finished about yeah. simultaneously. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be done. Thanks for your call this evening. Fascinating story. Thank you so much.